Welcome to Our Village Circle, a podcast centered around authentic sharing, honest storytelling, and elevating the voices of parents and professionals alike to demystify the realities of new parenthood. We understand on a visceral level that with the joy of your new human also comes every other emotion under the sun. We want you to feel seen, heard, known, and held in this life-altering stage. We wholeheartedly believe that everyone's story has something powerful to offer others as they navigate their own journey. Hello, everyone. It's finally here. I'm so excited. I'm your host, Jaylee Turner, and you might hear my youngest son, Alan, in the background, whose birth story we will be sharing on today's episode. We're coming up on his first birthday, and so I'm so excited to finally get his birth story out there. As most of you know, I was pregnant with him as I recorded the first season of this podcast, and then he was born shortly after the final episode aired. And now, a year later, you get to hear about my second experience, which was worlds different from my first in many ways. If you'd like some context for this story, you can go back to season one and listen to episodes nine through 11 to hear the story of my first pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. But today, I will begin by talking you through my second pregnancy and the experience of going through the whole thing under the care of midwives. Alan really liked that. (laughs) My battle with symphysis pubis dysfunction, some scary blood pressure moments at the end of my pregnancy, and my experience with early and prodromal labor, which Alan also has opinions about. (laughs) setting the stage for our next episode where I will share the story of his birth and my postpartum. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit the follow or subscribe button on this podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Our Village Circle and share this show with someone that you feel might benefit from it. We'll begin with the story in just a moment after a brief word from today's sponsor. I want to take a moment to talk to you all about two of my favorite baby carriers, the ErgoBaby 360 carrier and the ErgoBaby Embrace baby carrier. I'll start by talking about the 360. We received the ErgoBaby 360 as a gift at our baby shower for our oldest child three years ago, and I cannot even begin to tell you how much of a lifesaver this carrier has been for us. My husband and I love to hike, and this carrier has enabled us to continue on with the things we love. We have so many fond memories of wearing our little ones in this carrier, both facing in for snuggly naps and forward-facing to explore the world. Once they became bigger, we were even able to wear them on our backs. We have received so many comments from folks, familiar and strangers, about how comfortable they look and how much joy it brings them to see parents getting out and about with their children. We have worn our babies hiking, shopping, getting things done around the house, at family and social events. I've even worn my oldest while working. Ergo Baby's Embrace Carrier is wonderful too. Not only did my husband and I both use this carrier all the time with our second baby, but as a postpartum doula, there is not a single shift where I don't have it packed in my bag. We were familiar with Ergo Baby's products before having used the 360 carrier with our oldest. 
I was so excited when I heard that Ergo Baby had come out with a carrier specifically for newborns that merges the coziness of a traditional wrap carrier with the simplicity and comfort of a soft structured carrier. I loved using traditional wraps with my first, but the time it took to finagle the fabric often meant that I wouldn't wear my first quite as much. The Ergo Embrace is so incredibly easy to use. Simply plop the baby in, snap, and go. Keep the baby close, have your hands free, and know that they are safe and snug. Absolutely imperative with a toddler running around the house. The Ergo Baby 360 is a natural next step after your little one outgrows the stage of being carried in a baby wrap or the Embrace newborn carrier. This award-winning all-position baby carrier is comfortable and functional between 12 and 45 pounds with four ergonomic ways to baby wear. It has lumbar support for extra back comfort as your baby grows. And just as a side note, my Ergo 360 is now three years old and it is still in pristine condition. The quality of these products is impeccable. Ergo Baby revolutionized how we carry babies back in 2002. The soft structured carrier design has become the gold standard for baby wearing. Ergo Baby carriers give you the freedom to enjoy life's big and small adventures all while keeping baby close. Ergo baby carriers are ergonomically designed to cradle your baby in a natural sitting position and to evenly distribute baby's weight between your hips and shoulders. Ergo baby carriers are the ultimate in comfort and ergonomics, allowing you to carry your baby from those early days through toddlerhood. Regardless of your stage of early parenthood, Ergo Baby is guaranteed to have a carrier that fits your needs. Use the link in our bio to take a short quiz to find the right one for you and shop their full line of top-notch baby products. Now, back to our episode. So this pregnancy was different than my first in a lot of different ways. First of all, I saw midwives from the very, very beginning. My husband and I had been trying to get pregnant for a couple of months, and I thought it would be a good idea to go in and have a preconception counseling appointment with midwives at a freestanding birth center so that, one, I could make sure everything was okay, and two, that... I would already be in their system for whenever I did get pregnant because I knew I wanted midwifery care. I knew I wanted to birth out of the hospital this time. And it turns out that I saw midwives from the day that I found out I was pregnant because the morning of that preconception counseling appointment, I took a pregnancy test and it was positive. So when the midwife came into that appointment, she looked at my chart and just said, oh, so you're here for preconception counseling. And I said, actually, I think this might be my first prenatal because I took a positive pregnancy test this morning. So that was super duper fun. And from the very first day I was pregnant, I felt really well cared for. It was really big and exciting. And I already knew a couple of the people in that office. And so when I came out front, I got to tell them that I was pregnant. And at this point, I was only like three weeks pregnant. It was the first possible day that I tested positive. So it was really cool and it was kind of a big celebration and immediately I felt super comfortable and at home and I was really, really excited to be receiving this care from the very beginning. And that was something that was just off of my plate entirely. And it wasn't until I went through this pregnancy receiving this care 
that I realized just how much worrying about my care provider and the care that I was receiving had stressed me out with my first pregnancy. So it was really cool to go through my whole pregnancy with the midwives. And these midwives actually had just become in network for my insurance providers. So everything worked out really, really well this time. In terms of the physical aspect of my pregnancy, my morning sickness came on sooner and it was more intense. So was the fatigue. I actually threw up once during my pregnancy, which I know is still not much, but I didn't throw up at all when I was pregnant with George. I just felt nauseous. But the nausea this time was really debilitating and it lasted a long time. I ended up getting a prescription for Bongesta, for most of my pregnancy to ease the nausea and just help me be functional. And then around 11 weeks, I began having pain in my sacrum, which is something I had in my first pregnancy, but this was happening a lot sooner. I was diagnosed pretty quickly by a physical therapist and a chiropractor with symphysis pubis dysfunction. I think we've talked about this before in previous episodes of the podcast, but symphysis pubis dysfunction is basically when your body produces an excess of relaxin, the hormone that helps your pelvic bones move when a baby is being born. It helps your body make room for the baby while you're pregnant. It it causes your joints to just become a little more lax, your ligaments to be a little looser. And it has an intended purpose, but when you produce an excess of it, it can cause a lot of discomfort and it can cause your pelvic bone to prematurely split. So it was super uncomfortable, but I was really lucky in that I was already seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist because I still had some lingering issues from my first pregnancy. So right away I was getting help from it. I was also seeing a chiropractor again to help with fertility and to help with preparation because I knew I wanted to be pregnant and was hoping to be pregnant again soon. Emotionally, my pregnancy was much easier overall. And, you know, it was not my first rodeo, so I wasn't quite as overwhelmed by all the changes that were happening. I was more compassionate with myself. I felt less of a need to justify my choices to others. And I also felt a lot less stressed, actually. It was in the middle of COVID and I was not performing as a musician due to COVID. I was working on projects that fulfilled me, including this podcast. I had time to rest and I actually did so mostly guilt-free, which is kind of unusual for me. And in some ways, COVID facilitated that. I stayed on Zoloft. I saw a therapist my whole pregnancy and was generally in a pretty good place despite the physical challenges. When I was 16 weeks pregnant, we actually moved to a new house, which parts of it were stressful, but overall it gave me a really amazing outlet for all of the nesting energy that I had. I felt more comfortable being real about the challenges of this pregnancy, and I was also seeing amazing care providers. I was seeing a fantastic chiropractor slash functional medicine slash integrative medicine doctor who helped with getting my nutrition in order. I had a pelvic floor physical therapist taking care of my lady bits and my hip discomfort. I do remember that it was a lot of appointments every week and I was still uncomfortable even despite the help that I had. But having that help and having the emotional support was really great, especially during COVID. But at times the physical pain was debilitating and my limitations physically and the fatigue that I experienced often felt kind of depressing, to be honest, but I had a much better support system. I had friends that I could lean on, and I overall felt like I was 
able to be more authentic this go around. So it was just really nice right away to have all of that support in place. And even with that help, the pain throughout my pregnancy at times was debilitating. I ended up needing to stop practicing yoga. Um, If you know anything about me, that is like the one thing that keeps me sane. I had to stop lifting pretty much anything. I had to stop leaning over. I had to stop giving my toddler baths. The only exercise I could really do was swimming, which did help me through my third trimester. But by the end of my pregnancy, I was injuring myself just doing really basic things because my my ligaments and my joints were just so loose that the most basic movement would just knock it out of place. And so that was the hardest aspect of this pregnancy, I would say. I struggled physically, of course, but I also struggled emotionally with not being able to do the things I was used to doing. And at the time I had a two-year-old, he was running all over the place. And, you know, I, I knew it was the last time that it was going to be just us. So I I wanted to be able to give him that attention and play with him and run around with him. And it was just really hard. By my third trimester, the heartburn was unreal to the extent that a few times I actually woke up in the middle of the night with stomach acid pouring out of my mouth with no warning. And it was just as disgusting as it sounds. I was also much bigger this time. But despite that, my weight gain was 50 pounds, which is actually around the same that I gained with George, who was born at 37 and a half weeks. My third trimester was a bit of a roller coaster as my blood pressure started riding that borderline area again, starting at 34 weeks, just like my first pregnancy. And my labs actually began trending toward preeclampsia with elevated protein in my urine. However, unlike the first time, my care providers gave me the opportunity to make lifestyle changes and monitor and manage things on my own as long as things didn't go past a certain point. It was actually really cool because I felt like I was being monitored much more closely than my previous care provider would have. I had my midwife's phone numbers. They wanted me to text them my blood pressures three times a day. I was put on a modified bed rest and I changed my diet and just really took it easy to try to keep my blood pressures in a healthier range. And it did work. Actually, for the rest of my pregnancy, my blood pressure and my labs went up and down. And at one point, I think it was around 37 or 38 weeks, they completely returned to normal, which was unheard of. I had always been told that once your blood pressures or once your labs start going on the fritz, it's very rare that they'll return back to a normal level. But for a couple of weeks in the middle there, they were at normal levels, which was really cool. Toward the end of my pregnancy, I think it was around the 37-week mark, my son picked up Fifth's disease from his daycare, and he was really sick with fevers and coughing, and he's not that fever-prone, so it was quite unusual for him. And we had a bit of a scare because Chris and I both got crazy sick, like really, really sick, as if being pregnant wasn't hard enough having a giant daycare virus just really and it was like a chest infection too and during COVID times that was already kind of scary but I ended up going to urgent care because it turns out that fifth disease during pregnancy 
can be quite harmful. So I went and got tested to see if I had antibodies to fifth disease, if I had had it as a kid. It turns out I did. So whatever I had was an upper respiratory infection of some sort. So I got put on antibiotics, which also caused me to have a yeast infection at the end of my pregnancy. And then I got a urinary tract infection. So I had this quadruple whammy, a urinary tract infection, an upper respiratory infection, a yeast infection. Oh, and also being incredibly pregnant with the symphysis pubis dysfunction. So I was incredibly miserable by the end of my pregnancy. At one point when I was sick, I felt my baby stop moving and I got really scared and I called my midwife and on the phone, I was a little tentative. I said, I don't know if this is something to worry about, but he is moving less than I'm accustomed to him moving. And he moved a lot more than my first. So she said to just come in and she would do a non-stress test. Uh, And what I was expecting was to be hooked up to those belly bands and to be hooked up to a machine and sit there for 20 minutes and go on my merry way. But what happened was my aunt, my midwife, told me she was going to be doing a manual non-stress test. And I had never experienced one of these. And it was probably one of the most memorable moments of my pregnancy because here I was really trying not to freak out about the fact that my baby was not moving. And she had me in one of the birth rooms, which at this particular birth center, these rooms are beautiful. They have giant whirlpool tubs, really nice beds, like good bathrooms with showers. And it really feels more like a bed and breakfast than a doctor's office. And so I'm laying on this beautiful queen size bed and She handed me a chart and she said, I'm going to be listening to your baby's heart rate on the Doppler. I want you to write down the numbers that I say as I say them. And I had this like chart in my hands. Through this non-stress test, she's reading off what the baby's heart rate is every 20 seconds. I'm writing it down. So it gives me something to do rather than just sit and wonder if everything's okay. And she was right there with me and she was telling me what she was listening for and what his heart rate was at every moment and what she was hearing. And it was just really reassuring. It turned out that everything was okay. He must have just been asleep at the time or something and maybe just a little bit less active because I was not as active because I was sick. But I felt really cared for in that moment, just having someone right there with me the whole time and letting me know exactly what was going on rather than hooking me up to a machine, walking out, looking at a strip and being like, yep, all's good, which is what I feel probably would have happened if I had stayed with my old care provider that I went through with my first. So that was really cool. Baby was okay. We were starting to get better from our illness and my blood pressures were back to normal. And I actually felt better than I did my whole pregnancy. And I really trusted the midwives at this practice. I think sometimes people hear birth center or out of hospital birth and they think it's really crunchy and really substandard care and maybe they would dismiss things that could be indicative of medical problems. But my experience was actually that I was more closely monitored with them. They were taking my blood labs every day 
They were checking in on my blood pressures every day. They were communicating exactly what they saw in my labs. They were taking my protein and my urine every two days. And they were really, really monitoring me very closely. And not only that, but when I was getting my prenatal care, I had my appointments in the room that I was going to give birth in. So the whole time I was in the same place with the same group of people. I loved all of them. My appointments were like an hour long. I got to know everyone really well. It was just so nice. I was excited for my appointments every week. And they also really helped me to process certain aspects of my first birth experience and never made me feel like I was taking up too much of their time and never made me feel like I was a burden for expressing emotional concerns in addition to health concerns. I really felt like they had a very holistic approach and that if something was going to go wrong or if something was to become high risk that they would have my back and they would not hesitate to transfer me to an OB if that was something that was necessary. So I felt really, really great with them. So when I got to 39 weeks, we thought we were in the clear and my liver enzymes began elevating. My platelets began dropping, which is indicative of HELP, H-E-L-L-P. Things were still in the normal range, but they were trending in a direction we didn't want them to go. So that was when my midwife, Mayanne, called me and gently suggested that perhaps we consider a membrane sweep. Perhaps we start working on the natural remedies to get labor going. Perhaps we really just try to get things moving so that I could still have the best shot at the out-of-hospital birth that I really wanted. Because if things continued trending in that direction, after they passed a certain threshold, they wouldn't be able to care for me anymore. And they knew how much I wanted a different experience this time. So by the end of my pregnancy, I was so large. I was so uncomfortable. I was physically limited, but I was really determined to carry this child all the way to 40 weeks. I didn't get to do that the first time. He came early, really unexpectedly, so I think I just really wanted the experience of having a full-term pregnancy, carrying it through all the way to the end, and completing that cycle. And I wanted to feel ready. I wanted everyone to feel ready. I wanted me to feel ready. I wanted the baby to be ready. I wanted my husband to be ready. And I just, I really wanted that smooth transition that I felt like I was cheated of the first time. And I was willing to be really uncomfortable to help that happen. So... I was a little slower to get on board. I was willing to do things that would help my body be favorable whenever the time came, but I didn't really want to kickstart things, so to speak. I was at peace with however my birth story was going to go, whether that be with the midwives or in a hospital setting. I had done the hospital thing before, and I was actually kind of nervous and got a little bit of cold feet about another unmedicated birth. My biggest stressor this time was if I were to go spontaneously into labor at home, who would care for my toddler while I went to wherever I was giving birth? And would they arrive in time? Because my first birth was so fast. Basically, anything that was different than my first experience, I I felt nervous about. And due to the trauma of my first experience, I spent a lot of the visits with my midwives feeling as though I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. I really expected something to go wrong that would sabotage the incredible care that I was receiving from this team. I actually believed that the other shoe would drop so hard that I began talking myself out of my confidence in my body's ability to birth my baby without drugs. 
despite the fact that I had already done it once. Uh, And I felt nervous the entire time up until the very last second. At 39 weeks, my aunt strongly recommended that I opt for a membrane sweep, again, to encourage labor because of the way that my labs were trending and because my blood pressure had been on the fritz. I was a bit surprised by by the suggestion and I went back and forth on it up until the very last second. At my 39 week appointment, I saw Roni, who you all heard from earlier this season, and I felt incredibly comfortable with her, even though it was my first time meeting her. And we talked through the pros and cons of getting a membrane sweep forever. I think it was like an hour long conversation because I just kept going back and forth. And she reassured me that I did not have to do anything that I didn't want to. Finally, what tipped the scales was knowing that it would not put me into labor if my body and my baby were not ready. So I figured it was a case of might help, can't hurt. And surprisingly, it didn't hurt. She also sent me home that day with what they call a labor stim kit, which is full of all these natural remedies to help induce labor, including castor oil. But I never ended up using any of it. So... That entire week from 39 to 40 weeks was full of prodromal labor or constant contractions, basically, that would begin at 4 p.m. and they would go through dinner time. And the contractions would happen usually when I was resting. And then as soon as I stood up and walked around, they would stop. And that would go on until I went to bed. And then I'd wake up the next day still pregnant and not having contractions anymore. And this happened every night. And I think I bugged my doula and my midwife so much that week. And I felt kind of embarrassed that as a doula myself, I could not tell the difference between a false start and a real one. And at this point, I was kind of over it. So I spent the whole week curb walking, stretching, doing spinning babies, eating dates, napping, drinking red raspberry leaf tea, hydrating, taking baths, timing my Braxton Hicks, doing pelvic tilts on my birth ball, crying, journaling, slowing down to a snail's pace, uh, pretty much all the things uh, to prepare for what I knew was going to come and also not knowing how it was going to go down. I was actually really grateful for those final weeks of my pregnancy because I naturally slowed down to the pace of someone with a newborn baby. My first time, it felt really abrupt because I was working, working, working right until right before I gave birth, pretty much. And then it was a really violent shift. This one was a lot more gradual just due to the fact that I carried all the way to term. So my due date came and I was still pregnant. That day we went to this cute little old town as a family. We let our son George play at this park with a train he's obsessed with trains we got some ice cream and then I came home I took a nap and then that afternoon we took a walk but I was in such a bad mood like it was the middle of summer it was so hot I was getting eaten alive by mosquitoes and I just couldn't do it like I could not stand to go on this walk so we turned around pretty shortly in I'm talking like one block and we came home and I sat down to take my shoes off I couldn't reach them And then I tried to take care of my bug bites. I couldn't reach my ankles to take care of my bug bites. And I had to have Chris do everything for me. And we had this little like, it's called the bug bite thingy. I tried to have Chris use that to take care of my bug bites. But he was being too aggressive with the bug bite thing. And I I just kind of lost it. I think I actually was like, oh my God, stop. Why do you suck? Stop. And then I just completely lost it. I burst into tears and proclaimed the words that 
my husband, Chris, had been waiting well over a month to hear, I am so done with this pregnancy. Officially done. And the next day, I was actually done with my pregnancy. It was a hot, humid Sunday. It was the end of June. It was one day past my due date. Or I guess it was one day past the due date that my dating scan had predicted. And it was one day before the due date that I had calculated from my last menstrual cycle. So it was actually the day that I had predicted was his due date, which was the 27th of June. I kind of split the difference between the two dates. And at this point, I'd been having Braxton Hicks for about two weeks, but I had had four nights of prodromal labor and then 36 hours of no contractions at all. And during those 36 hours, I kind of had a sense that my body was resting up for the big event and that the next time contractions started up, it would be the real deal. And I was not wrong. On June 27th, I woke up at 6.30 in the morning to a contraction that felt much more crampy and wave-like than what I had been experiencing in the previous days. And it actually felt almost identical to the morning that I had George. And so I decided to go back to sleep and I woke up to another one. I had been timing contractions over the past few days, but all of the prodromal periods had been in the evening So it was a bit unusual for me to be waking in the morning to contractions. So I decided to begin timing. By about 7.50 in the morning, they were consistently five to nine minutes apart, and they were lasting about 45 seconds. When I let my doula know, she suspected that my uterus was working really hard to change baby's position since contractions at that interval are typically shorter. So she suggested that I do good old spinning babies, drink some fluids, and take a shower to relax my uterus a little bit. The midwife on call, Leanne, suggested that I do the same. I had already been doing some abdominal lifting and tucking, which is another um, spinning babies thing to help get baby off of the brim of my pelvis and into the pelvic bowl. And it was helping my contractions to get closer together. My doula suggested that I bind my belly with a rebozo to get a consistent lift in my belly so I wouldn't have to keep lifting it with every contraction. By 8.45 in the morning, my contractions were getting even closer together. And I began having bloody show, which excited everyone because it meant that it was probably actually time. I asked my husband if we could do the spinning baby exercises again and then take a walk. And he took that to mean, oh, it's time to make a breakfast sandwich for my wife. I asked him to call his mom to see if she could come and hang out for the day. That way, if it was the real deal, she would be here. But if not, then, oh, well, she got to spend a casual Sunday with us and hang out with George. When Chris came back from calling her, he said that she would be here by noon. And I don't know what it was. Something instinctive within me just prompted me to immediately say, please call her back. I meant that she needs to come now. (laughs) So he did. And his mom, Brenda, was on her way. Chris made the breakfast sandwich while I ate some frozen watermelon that I had cut up and frozen. George watched Blippi, his favorite show. I really didn't have any desire to eat anything heavy. And when Chris gave me the breakfast sandwich, I did not touch it. I just kept eating the watermelon. And at this point, I was sitting on the birth ball. I was bouncing. I was rolling. It was alternating between that and standing at our kitchen counter during contractions They were beginning to pick up in intensity, but they weren't yet at a level that I would consider officially active labor. They were four minutes apart at this point, and I had sent my midwife and doula the link to a contraction timer app so that they could see what was going on in real time. 
And at this stage, I was still able to talk through my contractions, but I much prefer to be quiet and focus through them. By 9.40 a.m., I could no longer talk through my contractions, and I actually needed Chris to be quiet so that I could focus through them. And I was beginning to wonder when my mother-in-law would arrive. My doula called me to see how things were going since she saw on the app that my contractions were getting closer together. And during the call, Brenda arrived. So this was around 10.20 a.m. And she came through the door. She saw me and she immediately went into action and began playing with George, which I was grateful for. And I remember sitting on the ball and needing to pause while I was on the phone to get through my contractions. Chris walked in the room at one point and started talking to me when I was in the middle of a contraction and my mother-in-law told him to be quiet. Thank goodness. And so since she was there and she was taking care of George, Chris and I decided to go on our walk without them. It was 1030 in the morning at this point and I was very ready to get out the door. I had been trying to go on this walk for about an hour. So it was so hot outside. It was almost 100 degrees and it was humid and it was the most pregnant I had ever been in my entire life. We began walking out of our driveway and down our street. And the plan was just to go to the end of the street and back, which was about half a mile. And almost immediately after we began walking, my contractions suddenly became super intense, super close together. I'm talking like one to two minutes apart. And I had my little timer and I was pressing the button every time one would start and every time one would end. And I remember as we were walking, I was just constantly thinking there was no way they could be that close together. I was making it up. It was too soon. I must be perceiving it wrong. I was in total denial. And we walked and we paused while I had a contraction. We walked and paused, walked and paused all the way to the fork in our road, which is only about a tenth of a mile in. And right when we rounded the corner, I felt a very distinct gush of fluid and there was Nothing else that that could be. So we immediately turned around. We made our way back home, pausing every minute or so for a contraction. When we made it home, Brenda was really surprised to see us so soon. It'd probably only been a couple of minutes. And she assumed that we came back because it was so hot outside. And I went straight to the bathroom to use the amnio swab that my midwives had given me to check for amniotic fluid while Chris explains to her what was going on. And much to my surprise, when I tested for amniotic fluid, the swab said that there was none. And I was completely befuddled, but I assumed that it was probably correct and maybe what I felt was just some more bloody show or something. I wasn't sure. But really, really quickly, my contractions began picking up in intensity and I was having to lean on a surface to cope with them. I could not talk through them at all. I was getting really crabby. And then I felt another gush and I just yelled to Chris down the hall, babe, there is no way in hell that was not my water. I just felt another gush. And so he came back to the bedroom and started asking me a bunch of questions and all I could say is I don't know shut up I was just so grouchy he called Leanne the midwife on call and I told her that the amnio swab came back negative but there was no way that my membranes were still intact and I was positive my water had broken she said she trusted me and she believed me and she stayed on the phone with us for a little while to get a sense of where in labor we were and I was really unsure of how far along I was but I knew things were getting intense And I did not want to do a 30-minute drive into the birth center too early and then be sent home. So I expressed that to Leanne, and she understood. And she asked if I was feeling pressure with my contractions. I said no. 
And she then asked what I'd like to do. And I suggested that we touch base again in about 20 minutes. And we all agreed that was a good idea. So after we hung up with Leanne, we called Amy, our doula, to update her. And she also asked what we wanted to do. I asked her if she would come to our house and then we could go to the center when it was time. And she suggested that if we were asking for her to come for physical support, that we were probably ready to go to the birth. And right after she said that, I had my first contraction with pressure. I looked at Chris while he was still on the phone with Amy and I told him we needed to go in right now and call Leanne right now. And so he hung up with Amy. He called Leanne And all the troops were officially rallied to be on their way to the birth center. And we started packing up and getting ready to be on our way. And getting to the car felt like an eternity. Like between contractions, I walked down the hall. My mother-in-law lifted up George to me so that I wouldn't have to bend over to pick him up. I gave George a hug and a kiss. And we have our little I love you sign. And we did that with each other. And... Then I was hoping to get outside before I had another contraction because they were really intense at this point. And when I got to the car, I was not going to get in until immediately after a contraction. And it felt like it took forever for Chris to get to the car. He was getting the remainder of our stuff together and he was talking with his mom. And I just remember feeling like he was really dilly-dallying. He probably wasn't, but I was just not in a good place. So finally... He came outside. As soon as I was done with the next contraction, I jumped in the car. And when I got in the car, I knew I would not be able to sit in the seat with a seatbelt on. And at this point, the contractions were coming on so strong and I was having pressure with each one. And Chris was trying to convince me that I needed to sit with my seatbelt on. (laughs) I made it very clear that this was not an argument that he was going to win and that he needed to just put his foot on the pedal and drive. So... We were on our way and Chris is driving swiftly, but also very carefully because he knew I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. I'm in the passenger seat, bracing myself on the seat and the support beam for the door. I had one knee on the seat, one on the ground, and I'm facing the center of the car, basically. And by the time we reached the end of our street, which is not long at all, I had to moan through my contractions. And now that it was just Chris and I, I felt a little more freedom to be loud and to cope in any way that I needed to. And I could just hear the voice of our first doula, Tracy, telling me to keep the tones low, to open my throat. And once I was able to turn my focus to keeping my throat open, coping began to feel more manageable. Even though things were getting more intense, I felt like I had a mechanism. And turning my focus to my throat opening proved to be a really good distraction from the intensity of the sensation. And I felt like it made it more manageable. Because of where we live, I had been so worried about traffic on the way to the birth center there had been a lot of construction in the weeks leading up to my due date that had brought traffic to a standstill but luckily it was the middle of the day on a Sunday and we didn't hit any traffic at all Chris was really really good about warning me anytime he stopped the car started the car turned sped up slowed down so I was able to brace myself my eyes were closed as I was coping with contractions so it was a huge help to just know what was physically happening with the car. And one of the things I had been nervous about the whole time that I was pregnant was what being in labor in a car would be like, because that was something I did not have to deal with my first time because I was induced. And the car ride was every bit as intense as I imagined it would be. 
And every time Chris sped up the car, it triggered another contraction. So it was really not comfortable at all. But thankfully, I, I had found my way to cope. So it was okay, I guess. That's all for today. <laughs> I know, cliffhanger. But be sure to join us next time to hear the rest of this story and how my labor and birth played out. It's kind of crazy to think about it a year out, but I'm excited for you all to hear it. So be sure to tune in. If you like what you hear, feel free to follow, like, and share this podcast with anyone you feel may benefit. We have a great community on Instagram and Facebook at Our Village Circle, and our website is www.ourvillagecircle.com. Until next time, bye-bye.